Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 in your Bibles. I am very privileged. I was just thinking about this sitting down there. I, I feel very privileged to preach the first service of the year of 2019. I don't know if Pastor planned that or not, but that was a <laughs> oh, great, great privilege, I'm sure. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Uh, I wonder, what is our attitude coming into 2019? Uh, what, is, what is our attitude what are our thoughts? What are our goals? What is our motivation behind what we do as we go into 2019? Um, I was looking online of a, uh, a blog post of somebody. I think it was uh, Los Angeles Times, actually. And uh, let me get this figured out so we don't have this crazy cracking. I think we got it. Um, Los Angeles Times, uh, the beginning of 2000, right before 2018 turned over, they had, uh, I just took a couple excerpts from one of their uh, blog posts here. It says, thousands of people killed or on the run from war, governments overwhelmed by the pressing needs of ballooning populations, cities devastated by natural disasters. When it comes to the world's biggest problems, the outlook for 2018 isn't any better than recent history. Almost 66 million people have been forcibly displaced due to conflict, persecution, human rights violations, and natural, disa natural disasters. More than a third of them are refugees, people fleeing uh, armed conflict or a well-founded fear of persecution for reasons of race, religion, nationality, political opinion, or membership in a particular social group and who cannot return home because it is too dangerous." If anything's going to get you a little bit downhearted, it's something like that. <laughs> it's a little, little, uh, a little bit disheartening thinking about what all is going on in our world. Wow. And you think of that, that's coming into 2018. You think about coming into 2019, how a lot of those things are still true. And we have uh, economic problems and unrest, war in many, many countries. And you think, wow, that's a little bit disheartening coming into 2019. What is our, what is our attitude coming into the new year? What is our attitude? Well, I want to look at that a little bit today. We're going to start, we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 4. I feel very um, small, very unqualified to open up this passage tonight because there is so much here. There is, there is so much in this passage. Um, so we're just going to kind of skim through and take a few lessons out of this passage as we go through. And I hope we can glean something that will help us as we, as we go into this new year, specifically our empowerment for the new year. What is em empowering us for this new year? Where is our motivation coming from? Hebrews chapter 4, let's start in verse 12. We're going to read a few verses here. Verse 12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intent of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that's passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's have a word of prayer. We'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for this passage of Scripture. 
so much here that you have done for us as Christians. <laughs> what a privilege it is to be a child of God, to be able to come before you boldly and to have Christ on our side. Lord, I pray that you would help us during this time that we open up your scriptures, help us to have tender hearts, hearts that are moldable, hearts that are usable. And Father, I pray that our minds would be open to the working of your spirit. Please use my words tonight. Use your word to impact each of our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if we took our uh, motivation for the new year straight from the Los Angeles Times, I think we would be in pretty bad shape. Uh, It's not a pretty picture. As far as a, a broad perspective of what's happening in our world, it's not a pretty picture. But I'm thankful today that we do not have to rely on what the world says is happening to give us peace or to give us hope for the future. Because truly, if we look at what's happening in the world, there is no hope and there is no peace. We are going downhill. We are going downhill very quickly. But there is a hope because we have something greater to look, look toward, more specifically someone that we can look toward that gives us that hope, that gives us that peace. I'm gonna, we're going to look at five things today that we have as Christians for the empowerment to this new year. First of all, we have a sword. We have a sword. Look there in verse 12. It says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We have a sword. Um, More specifically, this is the word of God. This is the Bible. What we hold tonight, what we're reading from, this is our sword as as a Christian, as a child of God. We have this weapon. uh, We have a defensive weapon against the attacks of Satan. We have an offensive weapon against the powers of evil. The, the, The word of God is quick. The word quick there means alive, something that has been resurrected, something that is living and alive and moving. The word of God is quick. 1 Peter 1, chapter 1, verse 23 says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. Aren't you thankful that when you read your Bible in the morning or whenever it is, it's not a dead book? It's not just any ordinary book that you read and put back on the shelf and it doesn't do anything. The word of God is alive. And it is constantly working in our hearts. And there are different sides that we can see and something new to learn in each page. Even as we read through the same passages over and over, the Holy Spirit works through it, making it alive, making it come true for each of us. The Word of God is quick. It's alive. Secondly, the Word of God is powerful. It is powerful. The The Greek word there that we translate as powerful is also the word that we get energy from. Our, word, our English word energy comes from this word. It literally means to be active or effective, something that causes change. So this is, this is saying that the word of God, it's not only living, but it actually causes change. It, it's, it's the energy in our life that makes a difference in our, life, in, our, in our lives. The word of God is quick. The word of God is is powerful. Jeremiah twenty three twenty nine is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh a rock in pieces. First Thessalonians two thirteen, 
For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which ye heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. That effectually is the same type of word. It means causing change, something that causes change in us. And we look through the passage. It's just a beautiful way to word it there. We received it not as the word of men, just an ordinary book, but the word of God, which effectually worketh in you that believe. So the word of God is quick. It's powerful. The word of God is also sharp. Word of God is sharp. Um, That word sharp could be translated penetrating. Something that, something that penetrates. Um, I remember when I was four years old and the word of God penetrated my heart for the first time. And I, I, I hope that each of us can remember back to that day when the word of God penetrated our hard heart. As a four-year-old, I hadn't committed any super heinous crimes or anything, but my heart was hard. Just like everyone else here, my heart was hardened against the gospel. But I'm so thankful that the word of God is piercing. It is able to pierce the hardest heart. No one in this room has a heart too hard that it cannot be pierced by the word of God. And the same goes for anyone else that we meet on the street. Even if they look like the roughest character in the world, the word of God is piercing enough to pierce that hard heart. It is alive, it is powerful, it is sharp. Fourthly, the word of God is a divider. It is a divider. Look there at the end of verse 12, or right there in the middle actually. It says, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. This confused me for a long time. I'm still not sure if I understand it to its fullest. Um, but I used to kind of think that it was talking about dividing the soul from the spirit. That didn't really make sense because that's not what it means. Um, but what it, what it actually means here is, is it divides the soul up. And it divides the spirit up. In, in essence, laying it bare, opening up those hidden parts of our lives. You think of the soul what does the soul mean? The soul is our emotions. The soul is our mind. The soul is our will. Those, those inner things in our life that allow us to make choices, make decisions. Uh, we have feelings in our soul. Um, so the word of God divides all those things up. They open it up to us and they make it clear where we are in our spiritual walk? Are we, you know, are, do we have the right kind of emotions? Do we have the right kind of decisions, the right kind of will? And the, the word of God divides all that up and makes it all clear. It, it, it picks apart, literally, it picks apart each part of our life. Uh, our spirit is our God-conscious part of us. The joints and marrow could be our physical being. And so each part of our life, whether we are body, soul, and spirit, the word of God divides into that, and it shows us clearly where we are, where we stand before God, and it penetrates. Sometimes it's very convicting, but it shows us where we are before God, what we need to change. It divides asunder those areas in our life. It makes it clear before God. Lastly, the Word of God is a discerner. It's a discerner. At the end of verse 12 there, it says, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents 
of the heart. That's a scary thing. The Word of God knows our thoughts, knows our intents, and it makes that clear for us. But what a blessing that is, that we do not have to rely on man's opinion to say this is right and this is wrong. The Word of God discerns all those things for us. It shows us clearly this is right and this is wrong. We can know for a fact that the Word of God is discerning correctly. Jeremiah 17.10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. The Word of God is a discerner. It's a clear path. It shows us right from wrong. It makes it very, very clear. And I'm so thankful for that. I like things black and white. So I am, I am so thankful that the Bible is a discerner. I don't have to rely on what other people say. What a blessing. The Word of God is quick, powerful, sharp, a divider, and a discerner. That was the first point. The next points are not that long. So uh, number two, we have a light. The second thing that we have that empowers us for 2019, we have a light. Uh, There in verse 13, read with me. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The word of God is a light. Notice there at the beginning of verse 13, it says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. It, it puts a personal pronoun there. And uh, from this, we can take very clearly that it is talking about a person. This word of God is a person. If you go back uh, into John chapter 1, in fact, let's turn over there. Uh, keep your finger there in Hebrews chapter 4. Let's turn over to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and we'll start there in verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we're talking about this Word of God, just like we're talking about in Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 2, The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehendeth it not. What an amazing parallel passage here. We see that the word of God, who is Jesus, is our light. We have a light that empowers us. Back over to Hebrews chapter 4. We'll read a little bit more in a minute. But I want to step back and think about this. What does it mean that Jesus is our light? What does that mean for us? How does that affect us? Well, first of all, we see that Jesus, or the Word of God, he sees all. He sees everything. There is absolutely nothing hidden from Jesus Christ. He is observing everything. He has that light that penetrates the deepest darkness. Nothing is hidden, no matter how dark, no matter how much we try to do it behind people's backs, no matter how much we try to hide something, Jesus Christ sees every single part of our life, everything. Proverbs 15.3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Proverbs 5.21, for the ways of men are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. 
he pondereth all of man's goings. That means he thinks about it. That means he truly does care about the ways of man. He's pondering over those things. He sees every way that we go, every decision that we make. It's before the Lord. So he is that light, and that light sees all. It also reveals all. The light reveals all. Um, There at the end of verse 13, it says, But all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That word open means to lay something bare. I don't know if you've ever seen this or you're familiar with this. It was kind of a, I guess you would say a custom or something that they would do um, back in the old days when they would have uh, sword fights and duels and things like that. Um, the winner of the sword fight or the duel would, uh, would, would be standing and the defeated one would be kneeling before the winner. And the, uh, the winner of the duel would lift up the chin of, of, of the one that had lost with the tip of his sword and cause him to look up into his face. Now, we take that word picture, and you think of that man that's kneeling there on the ground. He is open. He has no defense. He has shame. He's been completely exposed. He's completely vulnerable. And that's the word picture that we get from this word open. The word of God causes us, our lives, everything in us to be open and exposed before God. That can be a little concerning because many times we live as though we have some secrets. Oh, God doesn't really care about this little thing. It's just a, it's just a small thing. Oh, nobody knows about this. I'm, but I, I don't think God really cares about that. You know, God does care. And God sees all and he reveals all because he is the light that penetrates all. I hope we're thinking about that tonight. I hope that makes us step back and think, is there anything in my life that I think is hidden, but God is trying to reveal to me today? Because God does that. (laughs) The word of God does that in our life. It's that light and it can penetrate and and it can show you those hidden sins of the heart that God wants you to get right. Tonight is the night to get that right. We have a sword and we have a light. If that was it, that'd be enough. Oh, what a blessing it is to know that we have those things on our side. Going into 2019, we have the word of God and we have the light of God in our, in our lives. But there's more. There's more. Verse 13. Nope, verse 14. Next verse, 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. We have a priest. We have a priest, number three. A priest is one who would go between the people of Israel and God. He he bridged the gap. He, He took the sins of the people and he confessed them before God. He was the communicator. He was the mediator between God and man. When Jesus Christ came to this earth, he became the high priest. We see throughout the Bible, especially here in Hebrews, he's actually referred to the the priesthood of Melchizedek, talking about Jesus Christ and his priesthood for us. We see 
that Jesus was the one that ripped the veil. When he died, the veil of the temple was rent in two, and men had direct access to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ took the place of the priest of the Old Testament, and he has become our priest today, our high priest, Jesus Christ, the one that goes between us and God. Uh, First thing that we see about this priest is that he is a great priest. It says, seeing that we have a great high priest, what makes this priest great? Well, look over at chapter 3 of the same book, Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of your profession, Jesus Christ, who is faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. So he's setting up, he's setting up a comparison here. He's showing that Jesus Christ, our high priest, was faithful as he was appointed. Just like God appointed Moses to do a great work, well, Jesus did a great work as well. Keep reading. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Still talking about Jesus. Counted of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. All right, let's skip down to verse 6, and this will help us understand a little bit more about what he's talking about. It says, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. So it says that we are the house of Jesus Christ. We are Jesus Christ's house. All right, let's go back. We'll just go back to verse 3 and explain this a little bit better. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house, that's Jesus Christ, he builded the house, hath more honor than the house. Moses was one of the children of God. Moses was part of that house of Jesus Christ. So we see here that it's showing a comparison. Jesus Christ is so much greater because The high priest that built the house is greater than the house itself. Keep reading. Verse 4. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. God built all things. He is the great one. Verse 5. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken of after But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. We see that this great high priest truly is great. He's greater than Moses. And this meant a lot to these people. We're, We're talking about Hebrews here, all right? So we're talking about people that have looked up to Moses as the patriarch, as a great man of God. This is one of their most respected men. And Paul here is saying, Jesus Christ is greater. Jesus Christ is the great high priest. There's no comparison. Jesus Christ is so much greater. Jesus is a great high priest. Secondly, he is an authoritative priest. He's an authoritative priest. Hebrews 8 and verse 1 says, Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Wow. Jesus Christ is set in majesty in the heavens. Hebrews seven twenty six. For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, 
separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. That is our authoritative high priest. Hebrews 9, 24. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Jesus Christ is higher than the heavens. He appears before God for us. He is our authoritative high priest. Let's turn back over to Hebrews chapter 4. Make sure we stay with our, stay with our verses here. In verse 14, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. So thirdly, under this priest, we see that he is the Son of God. What, what greater, what more authoritative priest that we could have than to be the Son of God? Turn over uh, forward a little bit to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. I know this is a lot, and we're kind of rushing through it, but I hope we're grasping some of these things. Hebrews chapter 7, and verse 1. For this Melchizedek, all right, so again, we're talking about the, the priesthood, priesthood of Jesus Christ. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. You'll remember back when uh, Jesus Christ came in human form down to Abraham after he, was, uh, after he went after the, uh, the, the people that had um, taken Lot and taken all these possessions. They had they'd made that great slaughter, and Jesus Christ came and met him and talked to him during that time. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth the priest continually. We could keep going in this passage a ways and just see the, how the high acclaims of the Son of God. Uh, but we don't have a lot of time this evening. But I want you to think of that. This is the high priest that we serve. A high priest that is not a human high priest, that is very limited in the things that he does, but he is, he is a great high priest. He is authoritative. He is the son of God. And this is the one. This is the high priest that is with us as we go into 2019. He is there to empower us. As most of you know, I grew up in evangelism, um, traveling a lot. But we did get to back to our house every once in a while. We had a house. We had, still have a house in Tennessee. Actually, we were just down there this week. Had a really good time with family at, at Christmas down there in Tennessee. Um, but uh, we, we would get there about six to eight weeks out of the year to our house there in Tennessee. And the rest of the time, we were traveling or at camps or things like that. Um, so we, we, we would come back, and all my siblings were gone off to college. I'm, I'm the youngest of five. And uh, so we would, we would be there at the house. And uh, it's not a huge house, but there's a good distance from my parents' bedroom to the rest of the bedrooms in the house. There's a pretty big, pretty big gap there. Um, so when I was little, um, I was not the most brave individual in the world. I was a little bit of a weakling, actually, um, to say it very mildly. Um, so I was, I was afraid of just about anything you can think of, uh, but I was definitely afraid of those dark evenings in the house when my parents were asleep on the other side of the house and I could hear something moving under my bed. That was, that was pretty scary for a 
I don't know how old I was. Um, but for, for a little guy, that was pretty scary. We, we really did have, uh, since we were away from, how, from the house so often, we would have mice that would come in. And, uh, we, you know, we try to catch them when we're home. But there's a little period in there where you're still trying to catch the mice that have come in while you've been gone. And the mice like to get under the bed. And it's kind of scary for little guys. All right? So put, put yourself, you know, don't, don't judge me too harshly here. Put yourself in my shoes, being this little guy. And something's moving under your bed. And it's dark and your parents are on the inside of the house. Okay, so this is, this is a setup. All right, now, there were some evenings when my parents would stay up a little bit later, and I'd see a little bit of light coming down the hallway, and then there was something that really made the difference for me, and it would take care of all the fears that I had. It's when I heard my parents' voices. I heard my parents talking out in the living room or something, and for some reason, just that knowledge that they were out there completely took away all the fears that I had because I knew that they were present. I knew that they were there in the house and that they, that they did care for me. Having a high priest is kind of like that. We have a high priest who is present with us. And no matter what trial or fear that is presented to us, we have a high priest who goes before God for us. We have a high priest that's on our side to be with us and to comfort us during those difficult times. And just like when I heard my parents' voices, it alleviated my fears. When we hear the voice of Jesus Christ, he takes care of those fears. He takes care of those difficulties for us because he is there for us. He is our high priest. The next point goes a little bit along with that. We have a comforter. We have a comforter. Back in Hebrews chapter 4, we're in verse 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. What a, what a neat beginning to that verse there. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Jesus Christ is touched. And that's, a, that's my point A under this point here. He is touched. Hebrews 2 verse 17 says, wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Jesus Christ became a brother for us so that he could have this compassion. He, he suffered the same things that we suffer, and worse, much worse than we suffer. And therefore, he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. The things that we go through, he is touched because he became like us so that we might be saved. Just like I could rest in my bed knowing that my parents truly cared about me, so we see that our great high priest is a comforter. He has compassion, just like a father and a mother. I knew that my parents truly did love me. And though they weren't in the same room with me, I knew that they truly cared. And that was enough to expel my fear. So the same is with Jesus Christ. We know that he cares. We know that he is right there with us. He loves us. And that is a comfort. He is touched with our infirmities. 
Number two, he was tempted. He was tempted. Look at, look at the end of verse 15. But was in all points tempted like as we are. You'll remember back in Matthew chapter 4 that, uh, G- that Satan came to Jesus Christ when he was fasting in the desert and he tempted him. One of his temptations was, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. He, he tempted Jesus Christ in three different areas. And all three of those areas were, looked pretty good. All of Satan's temptations look pretty good. When you're hungry, bread sounds really good. In our, in our lives, Satan's temptations are always, oh, I can't do without this. I need this. This is something that's going to bring me fulfillment and happiness. But it won't. And Jesus Christ realized that because Jesus Christ was tempted just like we are. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18 for in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. It says that since Jesus was tempted, just like we are, he is able to succor those that are tempted. Brother Aaron, what are you talking about? A lollipop or something? What are, what are we talking about here? Succor means to give assistance or aid, according to the Oxford Dictionary. All right? To succor means you're giving someone help giving them aid. So since Jesus Christ was tempted, he became a man was tempted like we are, he is able to give us aid. He is able to give us that help through the temptation. The Bible says that there's no temptation that has taken you, but such as is common to man. It says that he will with temptation make a way to escape. He is our aid because he was tempted. He knows what it is to be tempted. He is our help in time of trouble. He is touched. He was tempted this one isn't alliterated. I'm sorry. He was perfect. He was perfect. I probably could have found a word there if I'd really worked at it, but uh, he was perfect. It says in the last few words there in verse 15, yet without sin. Jesus Christ was tempted, but he never gave in. It'd be a whole different story if Jesus had given in to temptation. I personally believe that that couldn't have happened, but Jesus Christ was tempted, but he proved that every temptation has a way of escape. When he, when he made it through that temptation, he chose the way of God. He was that example for us. He showed us this is the way of escape. You do have a way to escape. John eight forty six. which of you convinceth me of sin? Jesus Christ speaking there. First Peter two twenty two. who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. We have a comforter who is the perfect example for us. Yes, he was tempted. Yes, he went through difficulties. Yes, he went through such hardship. But through it all, he was perfect. And he is the one that's by our side to help us through every difficulty and every temptation. We have a comforter. Lastly, we have a throne. We have a throne. This is really what uh, ties it all together. Look at verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Verse 16 here is like a reaction. It's a cause and effect. Since we have a great high priest, since we have a sword, since we have a light, since we have this comforter, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace. Now, why do we come? How do we come before the throne? Firstly, we see that we come boldly. 
<laughs> what a privilege this is. We come boldly. Hebrews ten nineteen. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Ephesians three twelve. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. We have access. That channel to God has been bridged because we have Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10.22 Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We can come before the throne boldly. Secondly, uh, we find mercy. We find mercy. I hope we don't take these things for granted. It's so easy to just pray to God and not even think about these things. Not even think about what Jesus Christ has done for us in allowing us to have access to God. We can come boldly before the God of the universe, the holy, the holiest being, the almighty creator. We can come before him with boldness because we have Jesus Christ as our high priest. What a privilege that is. We find grace. Grace. Something that God has given us that we do not deserve. Turn over to, um, yes, turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This will be our last passage this evening. We, we can come boldly. We find mercy and we find grace in Jesus Christ. Mercy is something that we deserve that God doesn't give us. <laughs> and my, we deserve so much. We deserve hell. We deserve eternal punishment, eternal separation from God. We deserve to be alienated from God. But before this throne of grace, this throne of mercy, we find what we don't deserve. We find fellowship with God. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Think about that. As we're before the throne of God, it is not us that is coming before him. It is through Jesus Christ. We are so small. We are so insignificant. We come before the throne of grace, and his strength is made perfect in our weakness. It says, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. As we come before God's throne in our weakness, in our inability we find that his grace is sufficient. His mercy is everlasting. And it's all through that throne of grace, that relationship that we have to God through Jesus Christ. We have a throne that we can come to. The song says it well, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. We have a throne that we can come to boldly and find grace 
to help in time of need. We find mercy before the Lord. You know, all may be falling down around us. We see our nation. We see the difficulties around us. There's a lot of hardship. But because we have a light, because we have a sword, because we have a high priest, because we have a comforter, and because we have a throne that we can come before, we do not have to be concerned with the things of this world. Our, our world may all be headed in the wrong direction, but we have these things in 2019 that we can look to put our confidence for the empowerment of 2019, all because of Jesus Christ.